Hi, welcome to the Supply ES Change podcast. Um, thanks for joining. I'm Kate Larson, and it's great to have you listening. Really appreciate it. We discuss supply change, environmental and social, that's human rights, uh, risks, and ways to understand these and influence the supply chain to turn them into positive social impacts and environmental impacts to deal with issues like climate change, to end modern slavery, deliver decent work, and improve our society. So thank you for listening. Uh, whether you come from the world of business, uh, dealing with your own supply chains, whether you're an investor looking at this issue in terms of ESG, environmental social governance, or another sort of stakeholder who also looks at supply chains, environmental and social. So I wanted to talk today about self-assessments um, and these tech tools out there that companies are using to assess suppliers for environmental and social. I've just given a big uh, human rights due diligence training uh, to a very large multinational household name, which um, any of you would know if I mention it, which I'm not going to do because it's confidential. That's the way some of the work works. Um, and it was interesting to analyze what they've been doing and, and others um, and compare it to what I've seen other companies doing and what stakeholders expect companies to do or increasingly expect companies to do. And when I say stakeholders, I mean the NGOs, that's non-governmental organizations, charities, activist organizations who advocate and lobby uh, both for standards and and get scandal stories into the media, um, but also are advocating that governments pass or enforce uh, laws around what companies should be doing, um, both in terms of managing their own people, but in this instance, in terms of due diligence on supply chains. So specifically, as an example, Germany has just in, in recent months passed a uh, law that large companies will have to do human rights due diligence um, on their supply chain, um, labor, human rights, and environmental issues um, within the coming two years, um, starting with the largest and then moving to companies with a thousand employees. Um, we're seeing um, uh, drafts of this uh, for EU-wide um, legislation. France has passed similar, Switzerland, Netherlands has sort of a social agreement similar with business. Um, there's calls for it here in the UK with 30 companies out back coming out backing that in the past week or two. So that's the context for why I'm saying it's important to uh, the companies are improving their due diligence. So firstly is um, that stakeholders in the law are increasingly requiring that. Why are they requiring that? Because we have these issues in supply chains. Um, no matter what company you are, there are violations of workers' rights. Um, that are fundamental and lead to often extremely poor conditions and, and unfairness. Um, and then there's those environmental impacts that we're all aware of, obviously, around greenhouse gas emissions um, contributing to climate change, water pollution impacting our oceans and waterways, um, and waste issues as well. We could talk plastic waste or, or many other types. So, so I, I'm talking the principles of, of how companies improve their due diligence. And this podcast was to point out why um, logging in to one of these wonderful, fancy online supplier assessment, ESG or environmental social assessing tools may not be enough. I'm not saying not to use them, but they're not enough. 
So a few things. Firstly, the more I look at these platforms, these data tools that are assessing suppliers for ESG, for environmental, social, or for human rights, many of them, um, especially some of the larger, bigger names, um, are very reliant on supplier declaration, um, on what suppliers say or have on their website that their policies and procedures are. That's not enough. That will not tell you what is really going on on the sites that that supplier operates and where they make whatever they are supplying to you. It can be indicative. That information is useful, but it is not really going to tell you where your highest risks lie and where your work should, your due diligence efforts should be focused to uh, influence those suppliers um, that, that need your leverage being applied to cause them to improve and reward them, hopefully, for improving. And it's it's not going to help you get on top of your risk. So it's, it's almost on its own as a standalone step. If that's all your company's doing or a company you're looking at if you're an investor, that's that's insufficient and almost a waste of, of lack of return on investment step to take. So being based purely on public or supplier declared information is not enough. What would be better? What would be better is what many of us have done. I've worked in two multinationals myself and with many others in advisory roles and training roles and, and with many more in industry collaborations. Um, and what many have done for years, you know, you've probably heard about auditing. So some of these tools have some audit data feeding into them that may be useful. Uh, we need to, you may be aware that there've been a lot of criticism of auditing of labor standards and supply chains and to some extent environmental. Key thing to keep in mind here is don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So yes, there is a lot of shoddy auditing going on, but there's also good auditing. I've talked about this in other podcasts and that is that um, where auditing is robust, then that data should be taken into account in assessing and rating suppliers for how they're doing on labor standards, health, safety, and environmental. And what do we mean by robust? Well, was it only one person briefly on site? Did they really cover the issues which, which you're using to score the supplier? Were they highly trained in those issues? Are they a native of uh, the area under assessment and they know the local laws well? Uh, do they speak the language of the workers? And finally, were they, as I say, referenced already a team, which gives a much robust and deeper assessment, um, and preferably able to work unannounced, to visit the facility unannounced, and preferably able to take some unannounced off-site worker and community interviewing um, to do that before going on-site, um, unbeknown to your supplier. So for years, for well over 10, 15 years, um, many companies have set up contracts with their suppliers which say that we can audit you at any time, including unannounced or maybe a semi-announced window. So you might say to the supplier, within the next six months, at some point, um, an audit team will be coming on our behalf. And and yeah, it's, it's slightly disruptive um, to a supplier if that's happening all the time. Totally agree. I speak Chinese. Chinese suppliers would tell me this. I've even been on facilities where other auditors turn up at the same time. This is why there should be collaboration, which is the other part of what helps improve the robustness of monitoring suppliers on the ground to understand the real conditions. Collaboration can be done together with other companies. That's good if that's sort of 
a short-term approach, what it really should be done is in collaboration with other stakeholders. That happens through initiatives like ILO Better Work, who are in ongoing dialogue with trade unions in certain countries who will report the worst violations. Um, but it also um, can be done in partnership with trade unions directly as initiatives such as the Bangladesh Accord did, um, or nonprofits, um, which Fairware does, um, or, or other initiatives do. So, so getting into that robustness, and this is where the, you know, we're a whole level of depth of information away from merely those self-assessments I talked about in those online data platforms for monitoring suppliers, environmental and social, which are just looking at co supplier company policies and practices. We want to know the real practices on the ground that are verified by stakeholders who um, are passionate and dedicated to calling out which suppliers have serious issues and, and letting you know when suppliers have, have some great practices for workers or the environment as well. Many of them will also do that. Um, some of these initiatives take it even a step further and, and publish their data uh, transparently and publicly on websites. So the ILO Better Work Transparency website would be a fantastic example of that. That's data that would be brilliant to pull into um, these online platforms. Um, it's possible that some of them are doing that around the apparel sector. I'm commenting here around other sectors um, who I've been working with. So, so you know, there's tech, autos, pharma, um, construction, a number of other sectors who need to look at these issues and really need to earn a bit of catch up. But we also see some apparel and retailers um, who have not yet caught up with the leaders in, in their own sector who have these more transparent and stakeholder engaging approaches. Um, you know, another angle on that data coming into those ESG rating of supplier practices um, would be, you know, I've rarely heard of it taking into account NGO and worker helpline and trade union data reports directly because they're just not built as they're built as tools which which use perhaps fancy AI monitoring to track data online. That's great. That should be done. That should be part of the mix of, of how you're assessing and starting your due diligence on suppliers. But that's not enough, as, I, as I've been pointing out, to tell you where those violations might be happening. So you can focus your effort and reward the better suppliers who um, – who have been making more efforts over the years to provide better, um, more compliant labor safety and environmental standards and engage, push and encourage, and hopefully reward for improvement those suppliers who were behind on that front. So I wanted to keep this podcast short. Um, just needed to let you know that, um, you know, looking around a lot of companies and then looking at these ESG rating tools going on their websites, having been in industry meetings, talking to their people, um, under, talking with people in the industry about, about what data they're, they're capturing. Very few of them yet really capture enough data that can really support your company to do the type of business human rights due diligence on supply chain, which new laws and the wider stakeholder expectations are requiring of business, firstly, and which would actually help you know where risks are so you can get ahead of those risks because those risks can, you know, firstly, it's the right thing to do, obviously, to, to make sure that your suppliers provide decent conditions and don't violate human rights and, and are major polluters. Um, but secondly, um, 
you know, in a business sense, um, we often see correlations around extremely poor conditions and later quality issues or shipping time issues, which can be expensive for companies, um, and, and less innovative suppliers, less of a partnership. Um, and, you know, we, we really, and then obviously that risk, which, which I think is key, which everybody's aware of, of, of PR and negative PR, that negative, um, reputational risk as, as it's often called. So to avoid, to get ahead of the reputational risk, you know, I, I've had to do this. Um, I worked years ago in Burberry on supply chain, ethical trade, corporate responsibility. And, you know, if, if reputation is important to anyone, it was important to, to Burberry. Um, and we, we had to get ahead of it. So we would assess robustly and we would know on the ground, sending out experts, local experts by each country to supply chain sites. That gets expensive. So we would participate in multiple collaborations as more and more companies have been doing and get that gutsy insight regularly every year or six months, depending on risk, et cetera, um, of the labor, health, safety, and environmental conditions and they'd be monitoring with these other tools, these other partnerships. And this is where I'm talking now about what other companies have been doing since, because things have evolved more in the past 10 years since I left Burberry. Um, partnering with NGOs, partnering with charities, partnering with worker voice, worker helpline tools, which I've been involved in establishing in a number of countries. And, and doing that together with other peer companies in your sector, possibly through a sector initiative, um, and those international global trade unions who've been partnering with major multinationals over the past few years as well. Um, so, so there's a lot more to doing supply chain, um, ESG due diligence, environmental, social, human rights due diligence, than just assessing suppliers with one of these online ESG supplier assessment platforms, data platforms, tools. I'm not saying don't use them. I'm saying don't stop there. You need to go a lot further deeper. We'll be training on this in supply ES change responsible sourcing courses going forward or from an ESG angle for investors, uh, the type of the approaches we use when we train fund management teams to better understand this. So thanks so much for sharing this podcast, uh, perhaps to your peers, your colleagues, um, any feedback on it, any comments. I'm Kate Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N at supplyeschange.com. And it would be wonderful to hear from you. Um, thanks for liking and following the podcast. Any comments, any content you have and um, get in touch if you'd like to learn more or if there are other questions you think we could explore on the podcast, really keen to. Um, love getting this information out and love sort of sharing how it's been, how things have been done in the past to deliver good due diligence and actually improve lives and work with suppliers to see them make big environmental improvements. It's really satisfying when you actually get into doing it. So, so do get your hands dirty and um, get involved in this work, learn how to do it. Um, my colleagues who've also had, you know, 10, 20 years experience in this um, would also love to share their perspectives. We'll try to get them on when we can and um, look forward to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening to Supply Exchange, and we'll be back soon with another podcast.